Good morning. Oh, I sound particularly resonant. Nice job, Jamie. I like it. I like it. Also, Dave, thank you for putting this in the right place because of the lighting. I know Kevin, Pastor Kevin, is familiar with the concept of the two-face, where the, you know, the lighting. I need all the help I can get. We're going to continue on with Romans this morning, as we've been doing, uh, and we resumed last week. And we're going to start with chapter 8 today. But before we do that, I want to talk about the importance of God's Word. Uh, quite a few years ago now, um, I was attending the Auburn Church of the Nazarene. I should say our family was. Any people have been in the Nazarene Church? Okay, so you guys will recognize this. We had revival. And it, no, it's not like slaying the spirit and stuff like that. It's, it's somebody comes in uh, and speaks. Usually it's a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday night. Jordan's over there nodding. He remembers revival. And, uh, and then Sunday, it's, it wraps up. And one year we had an evangelist come in named Jay Schneider. And so I forget why uh, exactly he and I uh, met for dinner. But Jordan, do you remember we went and had dinner with him at the McChevron on South Hill? Do you remember that? Jordan was probably about 10 years old. So we went um, to the McChevron and, and Jay was staying at one of those motels there. And so we were talking and I was trying to sound particularly spiritual and I said, you know, I said, Jay, I think you're bringing the perfect word for our church right now. Really spiritual. I sound like I knew what I was talking about. And Jay said, brother, because that's what he always said, brother. He said, if I took this Bible, he had his Bible with him. I mean, this was a man of the word. He went to the McChevron with his Bible. He said, if I took this Bible and I threw it across this room, which I wouldn't do, and it landed open. And I went to the scripture that was there, and I read that scripture, and I meditated on it, and I prayed on it, and he like repeated that 10 times. And then God led me to bring a message from that scripture. It would be perfect because it's God's perfect word. And I want to encourage you this morning that we want to focus on God's perfect word this morning. And if I say something that does not line up with God's perfect word, I'm hoping Kevin's going to come right to me afterwards and correct me for second service. And I would encourage any of you, because we need to be like the Bereans in, in Acts chapter 17. And it says they were of a more noble character, because even when Paul, the apostle Paul spoke to them, they checked the scriptures to make sure Paul was telling them what the scriptures say. I would encourage all of you to do that. Don't take it for granted just because somebody's up here talking. So I will encourage you now to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We are going to be looking at verses 1 through 11 this morning. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did, he condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on the things of the spirit. Now, the mindset of the flesh is death, 
But the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his Spirit who lives in you. Lord, we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So what we see here to start off with is a great promise. You know, I, I kind of played around with the wording and the greatest, well, I don't know how we, we're, we're going to tie this together with everything else, but it is great and is part of the great, greatest promise. And the first thing we need to do is look at the fact that there's a word there at the beginning, therefore. And many times, and Pastor Kevin has spoken to this, therefore usually refers directly to what preceded it. In this case, though, this seems to refer to the first seven chapters of Romans. The therefore. And Kevin gave me permission to add another half hour on to review the first seven chapters, but I'm not going to do that. Really, the first seven chapters can be summed up like this. It's primarily about justification by grace alone through faith alone. Or as D.A. Carson said, not elegantly, but right to the point, the righteous God righteously righteous is the unrighteous. I love that. I mean, that is powerful. The righteous God righteously righteouses the unrighteous. And so that's what the first seven chapters are about. And so we come here and we, we're going to sit here on there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. No condemnation equals justification. They are antonyms. They are opposites. John MacArthur says that every believer, even the weakest and most unproductive, shares in complete and eternal freedom from sin's condemnation. And Martin Luther said that faith unites the soul with Christ as a spouse with her husband. Everything which Christ has, has becomes the property of the believing soul. And everything which the soul has becomes the property of Christ. No condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. One of the things we can be sure of with that statement, that it's absolute, is that God will not change his mind. Numbers 23, 19 tells us that God is not a man that he might lie, or a son of man that he might change his mind. Does he speak and not act or promise and not fulfill? Now, many of you will be familiar where that's from. King Balak was trying to entice a prophet named Balaam to speak a curse on Israel. In fact, God used a donkey to get Balaam's senses in the right place. But that was Balaam's response to Balak. God is not a man that he might lie or a son of man, that he might change his mind. So then when he says there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, that is absolute. It is absolute. He made us 
He knows us intimately and has our entire life planned. David in Psalm 139 says this, For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I've been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous. I know this very well. My bones are not hidden from you. When I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. If you are in Christ Jesus, it's not an accident, it's not a maybe. God planned for you to be there in that exact position with him. There is no condemnation. It cannot happen. Paul said to the Ephesians, verse 1, chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will. So if he made that decision, if he did that before we were born, then he says there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation. In his letter to the Philippians, Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. There's no exceptions, folks. Those of us who call Jesus Lord and Savior are assured absolutely that we will forever be with him. Second, justification is through Jesus Christ. Now, we have spoken quite a bit about this in Romans. Kevin just elaborated on it last week. We can elaborate again today. There's never too much elaboration. The law was never intended as a means for us to measure up to God's standard because he cannot keep, we cannot keep the law. The law is perfect. It's perfect because it exposes our sins. Last week, I'll point you right back. It might even be on the, right on the other page as Kevin preached on this in Romans chapter 7, verse 7. What should we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would have not known what it is to covet if the law had not said, do not covet. We need to thank God for the law. Because it shows us our sin. In fact, Paul says, early, says in Romans that God uses it to magnify our sin, to bring us to him, to recognize our absolute depravity. Now, as we look here at verse 3, it says, What the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. The law wasn't flawed. Weakened by the flesh means that we could not keep the law. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering in order that the law's requirement will be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Jesus was the perfect and final sin offering. We today don't have the depth of even emotional understanding of the concept of the sacrifice, 
of the sin offering. Jesus was sacrificed up for us, and when the Jews of the day who became Christians heard that, it was an amazing statement for them because God had given them a sacrifice. God had given them a sacrifice so they could atone for their sins. That sacrifice was perfect in its place. God intended it for that reason. It was carried out by God for that reason. But it was not eternal because the Bible tells us that sin cannot be erased by the blood of animals. So when people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob participated in the sacrifice, they were participating in the hope of the future, which was the coming of Jesus Christ, the final sacrifice. So God allowed them to participate in that, but that wasn't his plan forever, is to have animal sacrifice. So imagine the Jewish believers in Rome hearing that, that Christ is the sacrifice. He is the final one. And that would just be mind-blowing for them. Because it said to them, there's no need for us anymore to go through these rituals. And in fact, as we look back in the Old Testament, a lot of time when they're going through the rituals, they were just rituals. Many times God said, I don't want your sacrifice. What do I want? A contrite heart. I want you to bring justice. I don't need you going through the motions. But on the other hand, we also have to think about the Gentiles who were part of this Roman church, who had been pagans. And their whole concept of sacrifice was different. Remember, they had a pantheon of gods who were no different than human beings in their sinfulness, except they had superpowers. I remember back in the, I think it was in the 70s, when the, I think there's been two versions of Clash of the Titans. There's one in the 70s that has really hokey claymation stuff. And then there's one I think was made probably in the last 20 years. And I remember the beginning of, of that first one, and it showed two of these gods playing chess with human beings, just messing with them and doing whatever they wanted. And, and if you know anything about Greek and Roman mythology, you know these gods were absolutely despicable in many cases. And the sacrifice that a pagan would give was to appease this god, please don't do anything bad to me. So imagine these pagans hear the truth of Jesus Christ and the gospel is given to them and they accept it and they come to Christ and imagine the difference in their perception of a God who is almighty, he's righteous and perfect. That everything he does is perfect and good and that they don't have to worry about appeasing him they just have to be in relationship with him. And all the sacrifice has been taken care of. An amazing, amazing change. So we need to understand the depth of the sacrifice. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 says, Now since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these, so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. Friend, today you can be assured that God made provision for you. That you are sinful and you know it. One sin 
is worthy of going to hell. And <laughs> those of us who've been around a long time, guys like Duke and me, whoo, we have been around. We have so many sins, we couldn't count them. But Jesus came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He was sin-free. And he willingly, by the plan eternally of God, went to the cross. He bore the burden of that sin, paid the penalty on the cross so that we wouldn't have to. And then, after three days, God raised his mortal body and he defeated death forever. And that's the promise we have. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The one who had, did not know sin becomes sin for us. What an amazing statement of God's love and mercy for us. John Calvin said, The Son of God, being clear and free of all wrong, clothed himself with shame and disgrace of our iniquities, and in return, covered us with his purity. I, I don't know about you, but in the uh, immortal words of the wrestler Ric Flair, woo! That is powerful. That is absolutely powerful. Now listen to this. God established the law so we could see our sin and know, know that we do not deserve to be in his kingdom. Okay, we've established that. But he transformed us and now gives us the ability to keep the law through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Not for earning favor with him, but out of gratitude for our salvation. That's amazing. You mean I had no way to keep the law before Jesus Christ? No, you didn't. But now I can keep the law in Jesus Christ? Yes, you can. Won't be perfect. Not on this earth, but he's enabled us. And that's why those who've come to Christ have sins. They might be nagging. They might be ones that we're really struggling to get rid of. And they, they're worse and worse for us. They bother us more and more. That is the working of the Holy Spirit. And that's where the law comes into us today. John Piper said this probably more elegantly than I can. He said, one could restate the logic this way. Christ accomplished for us the condemnation that the law demands so that he might accomplish in us the sanctification that the law commands. He's accomplished it in us, sanctification. And as we move to the next section, which is the rest, Paul moves to the subject of sanctification, the life lived in the Spirit. Verse 5, he says, For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Now, the mindset of the flesh is death. Notice the verb there. It is death. But the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. The Spirit of life and peace through Jesus Christ. So as followers of Christ, we are called and empowered to live lives that reflect his righteousness. 1 Peter verse 1, chapter 1, verses 14 through 16 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. 
But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. When we are sanctified, when we are growing in that, as, as we saw, he is keeping the command in us. We actually become more humble. We don't become self-righteous. We don't look at other people and say, well, how, how can they not live up to the standards? Because we know we can't live up to the standards. We know simply by God's grace and mercy, he is moving us through the Spirit into following his commands. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple and that the Spirit of God lives in you? If we look at verse 7, the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. 9, though, says, you, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. God's holy temple, clearly on display by how we live our lives. Now, people can stretch this to a lot of extensions in terms of God's holy temple. But very clearly what it means for sure is that the Spirit of God lives in us And when the Spirit of God lives in us, our lives reflect that out of gratitude. As long as we live on this earth, and as God continues to sanctify us with his righteousness, we will still have the remnants of sin in our lives. Remember earlier in Romans, when Paul talked about being slaves, and I remember Pastor Kevin explained very clearly that the slavery they're talking about here is different than what we have experienced in our country. Chattel slavery, racially based, hatred-filled slavery. The slavery they were talking about was one we might call more an indentured servant. And it was an amazing occurrence that we see in God's word that sometimes that slave decided when he had right to freedom to stay with the family. That He felt so much a part of the family that he decided to stay. And to mark that, I I wouldn't be interested in doing it, but took the earlobe and an awl on the doorway and notched off part of his earlobe to identify him. Not as ownership, but as part of the family. And so we have to remember that we are now slaves to righteousness and not slaves to sin, but it's not going to be perfect. And part of what sometimes will happen with us is this concern about, well, if I keep sinning, is that proof that I am not in Christ Jesus? We've got quite a lengthy passage. It's going to be up here, but I think we need to go through the whole thing because we need to address this in 1 John chapter 1, starting with verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. And there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. We can't deceive ourselves. If you're sitting out there right now and you're saying, well, you know, I'm not that bad. There's a lot worse people. Then you are sorely mistaken because you're just as bad. I'm just as bad. We're all just as bad in the flesh. Quite a few years ago, um, I was trained in something called Evangelism Explosion. It came out of uh, D. James Kennedy's church. And it's a real, it's real systematic, but it's good because it gives you a, a framework and it gives you specific scripture. And very often, uh, two questions are used at the beginning of, of a lot of evangelism. And one is, uh, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? And then the follow-up question to that is, if, if God said to you, if you died, God said to you, why should you get into my heaven? What would you say? And there's where you get these answers. And so I'm sharing this. I had a trainee who was sitting with me, and I'm, I'm speaking with this man and his wife. And so <laughs> it was textbook. I said that, and he says, well, you know, I figured I'm not that bad. I haven't murdered anybody or anything. I mean, this is like you're going, oh, this is what they do in training. It's perfect. And so we went through the gospel very clearly. He understood it. We got to the end. And uh, he said, you know, I understand all that. I can go to church and I can do all the things, but I don't believe it. I got to just tell you. So, you know, you're, oh, you know. You. But God had a plan. I saw him two weeks later at church. He says, guess what? I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. He didn't say, because of you. He says, yeah, at work, this other guy, man, he's just been talking to me, talking to me, talking to me. <laughs> so, Paul plants, Apollos waters, God makes it grow. But the point is, here was a guy who said, eh, I'm not that bad. He didn't understand. But here's the second thing out of this passage. We need to understand that we're not going to be condemned. We will not be condemned as we struggle with the sin in our life. Because it says very clearly, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. We are to go to him. And it's really important for us to do that today because we're going to be taking communion in a little while. And Paul in 1 Corinthians tells us very clearly our hearts need to be in the right place. We need to be in the right frame of mind and relationship with God when we take communion. He's offered that to us. Not condemnation, but forgiveness. We also know that he has provided all we need until the day we are glorified in his presence. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 to 14 says, In him you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You notice it says you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Doesn't come and go. You're sealed with it. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation... And when you believed, the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance. Our inheritance is to be with him in glory. 
until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. There will be a redemption one day, and we are promised because we are sealed with the Holy Spirit that we will be with him. No condemnation. Finally, we have affirmation of our security in the Lord. As, as we've covered, there are times when we can doubt whether we can keep our salvation because we seem to fail so miserably. Very often, people say, I don't know if I'm saved or not. Well, I'll tell you one thing. John is very clear about this, that Satan is the accuser of the brothers and sisters, and he says it's day and night, and the father of lies. And what bigger lie could Satan give than you're not good enough, God won't accept you? Actually, that's a case of a half-truth disguised as a full truth is a lie. The first part of that, you're not good enough, I'm not good enough, we're not good enough, is absolutely true. The second part, though, is a lie. God won't accept you. If that was the case, measuring up, none of us have, would have a chance. Romans 8, verse 30 gives us absolute assurance that God is sovereign in our salvation. Listen carefully. And those he predestined, okay, we've been through this. He had it determined before anything was ever created. He also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. There's no break in that chain, folks. If he predestined you, he called you, he justified you, and he will glorify you. You cannot break that. At the very end of this chapter, I believe next week, we'll see that borne out again. We can't hear it too much. There is nothing that will separate you from him. And the truth of that is borne out in the fact that there is now, right now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the absolute assurance of who you are and what you have done for us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to now take communion. And if you have not picked up one of our um, little containers with the elements, go ahead and do it right now. I walk by them all the time. Don't feel bad. I have to, I've had to go back. And I want to tell you something exciting. I don't have any special insight, but here's something exciting. If today, for the first time, you truly accepted the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're going to have your first time taking communion with your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's, it's amazing. And we're going to talk about what this is about. You may have sat through communion and done communion hundreds of times over your life, but today's the day where because God predestined you, he called you, and he's now justified you, and he will sanctify you and glorify you. What a great promise. It would take a couple minutes for us to pray. As I said earlier, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, we need to have our right 
mind in terms of our relationship with God. If there's something right now, you know you're not going to be condemned. You know that Jesus will intervene for you and you'll be forgiven. Give that to God right now before we take communion. Let's take a little time to pray. So you can take the little thin covering and peel that back and then take the bread. And this is such a powerful thing that we do. There's two things that we are really commanded to do in this manner as a church. One is baptism and one is the Lord's Supper or communion. And so when Jesus was with his disciples on the night before he was to be crucified, he shared very clearly with them. He had told them before, but he shared very clearly with them as he gave the bread and it was passed around. He said, this is my body broken for you. It didn't mean literally. It meant this is symbolic of what I am going to do. They didn't know it was going to be happening in just a few hours. And so when his body was broken on that cross, as we've seen so clearly, our sins were washed away. And so take the bread in remembrance of that. And now we go to the juice. You read in the Bible, they had wine. Still juice of the vine here that we have. And Jesus said to his disciples at the same time, he said, this is my blood spilled for you. It is a new covenant, a covenant as we saw that will not be broken. And this had extreme power for his Jewish, now become Christian followers because they, this was Passover night and they knew all about the spreading of the lamb's blood on the doorpost in Egypt on that night of Passover. This now is symbolic of the new covenant he has made with us through his blood that we are free of sin forever and we are able to live sealed in the spirit in holiness. Let me take the juice. Lord, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you that when you have sealed us in the Holy Spirit, that there is no condemnation, nothing that can take us from you and that couldn't cause us to lose that gift you've given us. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.